let's go Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So uh, you might not know this, but there are actually um, several uh, similarities between being a pastor and the president of the United States. And it's not just our egos, I promise you that. There's actually more than that. Uh, for one, uh, we both go to a lot of dinners, a lot of luncheons. There's a lot of food involved. Um, second, uh, our approval rating can plummet at a moment's notice. Uh, that's a thing that happens. Uh, but also, we both give hundreds of speeches, most of whom are never remembered. Right? In fact, that's one of the most depressing things about being a preacher is that you'll spend 20, 30 years of your life preaching sermons and no one remembers them at all. Um, and presidents have a very similar thing. They, they give hundreds and hundreds of speeches and very rarely are they ever remembered. But there is one type of speech that presidents tend to give that we do remember, and that's the inaugural address. Right? In fact, most of the famous lines that we know from presidents come from inaugural addresses. Right? So, example, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's inaugural address. That's FDR in 1931. Or uh, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Yeah, you guys know it. I, I love it. Uh, JFK, right? So the, these lines we remember because there's something about inaugural addresses that, that stick with us. And the reason is because these addresses are simultaneously a message of hope and a message of challenge. It's a, a moment when new leadership emerges and they say, this is our vision for the nation. This is our, our, our vision for how things are going to go. But we're also going to challenge you to, to step up and, and live in a way that is uh, a new way. That we, that we want this nation to be everything that we know that it can possibly be. And so we tend to hang on the words of an inaugural address. Now, you might be asking, why are we talking about inaugural addresses? Fantastic question. I'm happy you asked. We are going to spend from here until Labor Day studying the Sermon on the Mount. And while it's called the Sermon on the Mount, it functions as the inaugural address of King Jesus. That Jesus steps on the scene in, in his his first address, the, the first sort of uh, speech that he gives that is both a message of hope, of, of, of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, of how it's going to operate, and a challenge of, of how we as citizens within the kingdom of heaven, how are we actually supposed to live? How do we navigate the world? And so um, that's where we're going to go. And I'm, I'm very excited about the series, but before we really dive into what he actually says in the Sermon on the Mount today, I want us to start by figuring out one specific thing, and that is what on earth is the kingdom of heaven? What on earth is the kingdom of God? When we talk about the ki kingdom of God, what are we talking about? Um, because if I can be honest, I have been in church my entire life, and for the majority of my life, people have said the kingdom of heaven, the ki kingdom of God, and I'm like, yep, whoop. I have no clue what it means. It's just one of those sort of churchy, Christianese words that we throw out, and we just kind of assume that we know, right? Like if you've ever been at coffee and someone's like, yeah, I just real feel, I feel stuck in my sanctification. You're like, totally, right? Like, I don't, you're like Googling sanctification on the side. In fact, I actually Googled sanctification in a seminary class because I had no clue what it means. Turns out it's just a fancy word for the maturation process of growing to look more like Jesus. Who knew? Um, but, the, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is this sort of word that we throw around. Yet I feel like a, a lot of us don't really exactly know 
what that means. And so I want to start by understanding when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, what is he actually talking about? So let's look at Matthew 4, starting in verse 17. This phrase right here is the thesis statement of the entire ministry of Christ. If you were to summarize his entire message in one line, it's this. It says, and from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. If you were to ask someone, like, how would you summarize the message of Christ? How would you summarize the message of Jesus when he came to earth? It's not love your neighbor. It's not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, the, the one-liner is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, a couple of things I want to point out about this phrase to kind of help us understand uh, what he's talking about. First, this word repent. Um, growing up, I, I kind of always assumed that uh, repent just meant like stop sinning. <laughs> just like don't sin, like stop doing that, right? Do something else. Uh, but this word is a Greek word, meta not eo. And what it means is to change one's mind. It's to change your mind. It's to change the way you think. And so when Jesus steps up on the scene, he's not saying, whew, y'all better stop sinning because the kingdom of heaven is here. You better stop doing bad things because the kingdom of heaven is about to drop the hammer. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He says, hey, I want you to forget everything you thought you knew. I want you to forget everything you thought you knew. I want you to change your mind, change the way that you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's unlike anything you've ever ever know. Right? And so the first call for us is to repent. It's to change the way that we think. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the second thing that, that I want us to understand here is this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Now, for us, when we think about a kingdom, we typically think in terms of a, a place, right? Like you rule over a kingdom. It is a place. It is a territory. We think phrases like sea to shining sea or Everything the light touches for all you Lion King fans out there, right? Like, we think of the kingdom as that's a, that's a place that you go and a place that you rule over. But the word here is actually a word that, that has more of an action, uh, action associated alongside it. And the action is to rule or to reign. And so the better way to say it is he says the rule or the reign of God is here. And when he says this, when he shows up and says, Repent, change your mind, change the way you think because the rule and the reign of heaven, the rule and the reign of God is here. That is a monumental phrase for the people that are in this audience, and here's why. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, we learn something interesting. Um, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, something interesting is that during the time that this text was written, earthly kings 
would use the phrase image of God to describe themselves. They would walk around declaring that they are the image of God. And the fact that they were the image of God is what gave them the right, is what gave them the authority to rule and to reign however they pleased. So, so as a ruler, I can oppress you because I am the image of God and you do not mess with God. I can enslave you because I am the image of God and you do not mess with God. I can rule and reign with an iron fist because you do not mess with God and I am the image of God. That is the tactic that leaders would use. They would claim to be the image of God and that's what gave them the authority. And so the, the very first audience that's reading this would have recognized this and would have thought, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. That the God of the universe, the God, the one and only true God, the king of the universe, one that just created everything that we know in his grace to us, said, you, mankind, you are created in the image of God. And you now have the authority to rule, to reign on behalf of me over my creation. But this word to have a dominion is not the word to be domineering. I want to be very clear about that. It's this word, it's this, this, this idea of stewarding. It's saying, hey, I want you to be my representatives on the earth and to take this beautiful creation that I've made and I want you to steward it. I want, I want you to help it flourish, to, to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to build things, create things, allow this world to flourish as people that are ruling and reigning on my behalf. This is a beautiful, beautiful phrase that we have been given the authority by God to represent him well on the earth. Well, if you know how Genesis 3 goes, something happens, right? We experience what's called the fall. And, and, and the basic idea of the fall is that mankind came to a place where we decided, I no longer want to rule on behalf of God. I want to rule in place of God, right? I'm no longer content ruling on behalf of God. I want to rule in his place. I want to be God. I want to rule and reign however I see fit. And everything spirals out of control. Things do not go well. And all of a sudden, we have all these people that are trying to, to rule and reign and cultivate and create. And what happens is absolute chaos. Absolute chaos. And the people of Israel who are, who are there, who are seeing Jesus step up on the scene, they, they feel this more than ever. Because in 597 BC, the sin of Israel led to the conquering of Jerusalem, where they were then exiled to the empire of Babylon. And so for the last 600 years, they have been ruled by the empire of the day. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. And what they have experienced is that no one has figured out how to rule and how to reign in a way that actually looks like the kingdom that God had intended. In fact, I wanna to read to you um, Psalm 72. Uh, I realize I don't have a slide for this, but I'll just go ahead and read it for us. This is a picture of kind of what the ideal reign is supposed to look like. This is Psalm 72, starting in verse one. It says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity and the hills righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. 
May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish. May peace abound till the moon is no more. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and on the needy. He saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom. I love that phrase. May people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. All right, so when you read texts that, that, that sort of describe how our kind of earth, earthly rule and reign is supposed to go, no one is experiencing this. No one is experiencing people who, who blossom like the grass of the field. No one's experiencing peace and justice and righteousness. No, everyone's experiencing some kind of broken, uh, kind of knockoff version of what's supposed to actually happen. And so Jesus steps up on the scene and he says, hey, repent. Change the way that you think. Forget everything you thought you knew because the rule and the reign of God is here in me. I am the king. I am the embodiment of the rule and reign of God. And you have tried things your way. Now let's try things the right way. And what he is about to do is he's about to, to walk people through this idea of there is a way to live and to rule and reign on behalf of God in this world as his representatives in a way that actually leads to flourishing. And the Sermon on the Mount is what actually kind of gives us the roadmap of how we actually do that. Because our, our, our task from, Gen, from Genesis 1 hasn't stopped. We are all still created in the image of God. We are all uh, image bearers. We all have the task to, to graciously rule and reign on behalf of God, to cultivate the world, to, to allow human flourishing to take place. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? And, and over the, the next few months, we're going to figure out how to do that through the Sermon on the Mount. So what I really want us to do today is this. I want to challenge you as we prepare, as we begin to study the words of Christ, to ask one question this week. And it's asking the Lord, where do I need to repent? Where do I need to repent? And again, repent doesn't mean just like stop sinning, stop doing bad things. No, like where do I need to ask the Lord to change my mind, to change the way that I think? Where am I thinking wrongly? Because one of the things that we're going to see is that the kingdom of heaven, it is backwards from the way that we've historically been doing things. It is backwards. And one of the things that you'll see in the changing of our minds is that Jesus has this phrase that he will use over and over and over again. He'll say, you've heard it said blank, but I say this. And he's using this comparison to help us understand where we are thinking wrongly. Because um, one of the things that I think we are guilty of in the church is that we believe a lot of things that are cultural but not biblical. And maybe they're good things, but we believe things not because Jesus has ever said it, because the scriptures have ever said these things. We just believe them because we just kind of grew up hearing these things. 
And that's what Jesus addresses. In fact, most of the things that Jesus says are, are, are things that were taught by the religious leaders of the day. So, for instance, he'll say, hey, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Right? He's like, I didn't say that. I have never said hate your enemies. In fact, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Bless those who curse you. That's what I say. And so he's attacking these, these things that they've come to believe that have shaped the way they navigate the world. And he's saying, you have, you have bought wrong ideas. You are thinking wrongly. And we need to change your mind. Change the way that you think because it is affecting how you navigate the world. Because your thoughts and your actions come out in your hands and your feet and how you behave. And we need to adjust that. Not behavior modification, but, but change the way that you think and see the world. And I'm going to be honest. There might be some things that we read in the Sermon of the Mount that are very difficult to apply. Because it is a paradigm shift. There are things that we will read and we'll think, I don't know, man. That sounds backwards. I don't know if that will actually work. I mean, I mean, even the thing that we just talked about. Pray for those who persecute you? Come on now. It's more of a suggestion, right? Jesus is going to go on to say, you've, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I never said that. I say, if someone slaps you across the face, you turn the other cheek. If you've ever been slapped across the face, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do is to turn the other cheek. Hey, and the Sermon on the Mount is filled with all these little things that challenge the way that we have been operating in the world. And so one of the things that I want us to do is just to prepare our hearts by simply asking the Lord, God, where do I need to repent? Where am I thinking wrongly? Where do you need to change my mind? Because again, our task is still the same. Our task is to be image bearers, to be people who, who represent our God in the world around us, to bring cultural flourishing. And the question is, are we doing that right? And sometimes the reason we're not is because we're not functioning in a way where we're thinking correctly. So God, where do we need to change our mind? Let me pray for us. Father, I... Um, been thinking a lot this, this week about your words, about um, what your word calls us to, and the ideas that we've just come to believe, ideas that we might even think are, are good ideas or right ideas, but are backwards from the way that you called us to live. God, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that, that following you um, is a task or a journey that uh, is difficult. It's challenging. There's hope and there's joy and there's peace and there's life and there's all these amazing things, but it's also a challenge. Because it requires us to reframe the way that we see the world, reframe the way that we think and, and act and navigate things. And so, God, my, my prayer is that this is a season for our church where we just slow everything down or we zoom out with it and we say, okay, what is Jesus actually saying? 
if Jesus is king, if he is the one that is ruling and, and reigning, and we are simply his representatives, how do we rule and reign like him? How do we rule and reign like King Jesus? What does that actually mean? And so, Father, will you graciously point out in our lives and in, in our hearts the places where, where we've, we've just missed it? Not in a, a guilt way or a shame way, but just a gracious, enlightening way. Just open our eyes to the areas in our life where maybe, maybe we've just been missing it. And bring loving correction so that we can be people that look like our king. We love you. Is there something for you?